Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We are, we are now in 2021 mm -hmm. and headed for another year of adventure. We don't know what the year holds. We're trying to plan as a church for future days. <laughs> have no idea what we're looking at. But the dear Lord does. And with confidence and with joy and with zeal, we shall press on. We are still in the throes of the hand of God upon our nation and upon the entire world in which we live. Now here's the verse. It gets tiresome almost listening, but it is so important. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Maybe gentle, but a strong reminder that sin is a much greater enemy than the COVID ever was. Mm -hmm. It is more dangerous. It is more deadly. And the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater than it has ever been. If God has not done a work in your heart in a very special way in these days, these are days to seek him fresh and new as we begin a new year. God has given us a brand new page on which there are no disasters written yet, I hope. <laughs> a clean page on which we might write the story of tomorrow. And may the Spirit of God fill us and grant that the, what we write in this year's story may redound to the glory of God, the blessing of us personally and on everybody in our own world. <laughs> I believe that there's a scripture lesson out of Philippians chapter... Three, Philippians chapter 3, it talks about forgetting things behind and pressing on. So listen carefully to the reading of God's word. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open it up. If you read along, you'll profit more than if you just listen. Profitability. I want you to, I want our church to have a stock market. Uh, what do we call it? Surge? Uh, at any rate. We, we, bull market. we will have a bull market spiritually <laughs> right. this year. So no bull market if we don't profit. Philippians chapter 3, and what are the verses? Verses 7 down to verse 16. Philippians 3, 7 through 16. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. May God bless the reading of his word. I hope that you referenced the notes today. Hope that you've either printed them out, you can watch them on your cell phone, or just there are various ways that you can access them. But they are very useful and very helpful to me, and I hope to you as we look at the message from God's Word today. Very, very strange, very, very strange New Year's message. Living to die and dying to live. Absolutely amazing as to how we live our lives. The governing principles by which we live our lives. Here we have, out of Mark 8, and it's also recorded in Matthew's Gospel, the confession of Peter as to the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And uh, almost kind of like an apex in Peter's experience as he's walking with the Lord. But the answer that comes and the explanation that comes is very, very troubling. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, we'll begin reading with verse 27. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. By the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He, Jesus, said to his disciples, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Now that means not the name Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one of the Old Testament, the anointed one. You are the Christ. And Jesus charged them at that point they should tell no man of him. This, this was premature to get into this issue in their ministry as disciples. So following this confession, Jesus does something very, very strange. Very, very strange. He seems almost totally, after commending, after commending his confession, he seems totally almost to contradict it. And this troubles Peter. He can't, he can't put these pieces together in his thinking. They don't fit. Verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, the reason this is contradictory is because their idea of Messiah did not include that. That was totally contrary to their idea of Messiah. Messiah was going to come and conquer and all of his enemies were to be put under his feet, and he was going to rule and reign in the world. He was going to be the victor, not the victim. Okay? So he's going in a totally different direction. You know, when we're called to follow Jesus Christ, <laughs> I was called to preach many years ago to be a pastor. And my idea of what that entailed at that point in time was not totally realistic. We have... We have a, Delusions of grandeur about about how everything we're planning, our well, we our marriage, our home, our, our occupations, our education, 
we have delusions of grandeur and how these things are going to work out. I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, and then I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to climb the ladder, and I'm going to make money, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have a family. Well, bless you, but on that road I will submit to you, there's going to be a lot more difficulty than you anticipate. It's not going to all be peaches and cream and work out the way you think it will. And Jesus began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now notice, he's teaching them, which means they don't know this and they don't understand this. And we can learn about the Christian life and Christian ministry if we'll let the Holy Spirit of God teach us as to how it all comes together and how it all works. Most Christians never figure this out. Most pastors never figure this out. He began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer. Now notice the word must. It's the Greek word dei, uh, D-E-I, if we spell it in English spelling, and it, it indicates a moral necessity that this is an absolute, this is something that has to happen. This is, this is not something that's optional. This is not something that might happen. This is not something that you, you may experience along the way. This is a necessity. The Son of Man must suffer, and notice, many things. Now stop there for just a moment. I may not get very far in my sermon today. There isn't anybody that I know who has ever served God faithfully that hasn't suffered many things. That person doesn't exist. Now, the wonderful thing as a Christian is these suffering of many things don't defeat us, they don't destroy us, they build us, they equip us for more effective ministry, they become the foundation of power in the Christian life. But without the suffering, these things don't happen in your Christian life and ministry. There's no shortcut. If I were to ask you as a Christian a personal question, do you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? How many Christians that you know, I, I know very few Christians that if you ask them would not respond, I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I think universally if I were to ask everyone, everyone that's listening today, do you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You would say yes. Most of you would say yes, I do. But where was the power of Jesus Christ's life and ministry? It was in his death going to suffer many things. Notice there's rejection, and none of us like that, but if we are really going to be true to the Word of God, if we're going to be true to Jesus Christ, His enemies will ultimately become our enemies. We don't have to be contentious and, and obnoxious. <laughs> they, they just find out when we won't bend to evil, we, <laughs> they don't like us. Not because we're bad, but because we reflect on them very poorly. When we choose what is right, and they will not choose what is right. Be rejected of the elders. Chief priests and scribes, these are the important people in their world. You and I have peers that we don't care what they think because they're nobodies. What we care about is the people that are somebodies in our world. We, we care about what they think about us. Am I right? They, they care about what... We care about what they think about us because they're important people. And we value their opinions. And if they think ill of us, that's hard to take. It's hard to take when the President of the United States put, puts you in a 
basket of deplorables because you're a Christian. That's not very neat. It's not very nice. And so it is amazing how this works out. Chief priests, scribes, and you'll notice he's beat or rejected, and the next word is killed. And that's the hardest of all of these things. And then after three days, he is going to rise again. Now, as he spoke these words, there was one phrase in this sentence that they did not hear. It did not register. They did not understand it because when, when we talk, when, when God talks to us about denying ourselves and saying no to ourselves, we don't hear about the fact that he says divine blessing is going to attend that. We, that, that escapes us. All we see is the negative. We don't see the positive at all. We hear the negative. We don't hear the positive. Okay? We hear about denying yourself. We hear about leaving your family. We hear about walking away from wealth. And in our mind, that's the end of life. But Jesus said the one that does that in this world has a new family and has new relationships and, and he has everything that God provides in abundance beyond what he will anticipate. And that escapes our notice. All we hear about what we got to give up, what we can't do, where we can't go, that, that, that we hear. Now, I want to pause. Am I right or am I wrong? So, you'll notice the first thing is living to die. But you'll notice the second part of the message is dying to live. Dying to live. So, God has not called us to nothingness. God has not called us to, to, a dead end, to a dead end street. God has called us to greater joy, greater victory, greater fruitfulness, greater prosperity, a greater life, a bigger world, not a smaller world, but a bigger world. I hope, I hope that we can understand that as we move along. So, he spoke that saying openly now he didn't he didn't hide this he he didn't he didn't say no look you you just you might have to deny no he said look you got to say no to yourself you you got to be willing to die for me and and they're going to do this to me this this is this is how this is how it is this now that's not the end the end is 3 days later he's going to rise again which of course which they didn't hear so Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. I think perhaps the strongest rebuke that came from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ to a disciple whom he loved dearly. Peter, Peter, you did not get that from the Holy Spirit. You got that from the devil. You do not process the things that are of God, the things that are of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he, he said unto them, whoever is going to come after me, let him say no to himself. We, we were here last week in our message. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever, whoever is going to save his life is going to lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels is going to save it. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul as his own life, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We have a very strong natural, there's a universal resistance to giving up what we 
treasure for ourselves. For the benefit of other people. We don't want to do that. We think if we give up time and talent and resource, and if we dedicate our life to the service of others on the mission field somewhere, we're going to lose everything. That's, 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 that's the mentality. But that does not come from the Holy Spirit. That comes from the devil. I don't know a missionary that served God faithfully through all his years that's ever come back and been disappointed. Right. I don't know a pastor that's ever given his life in the power of the Holy Spirit to ministry that's ever said, look, look, I'm sorry I did this. Now, I've been in ministry, this will be about 60 years this year, and, and may I say to you, may I say to you, at the beginning of this thing, I had to decide, look, I'm going to walk away from what my counselor said I should do, go into the business world and get rich and get money and, and, and make it for myself and my family. I walked away from that. I had no idea where this was going to lead me. I didn't know if days of persecution would come. I had no idea what I was committing myself to, except I was walking away from everything, from every benefit and prospect that would please an egotistical man. That was the end of that. And at the end of my life, I want to tell you, I have more than ever I could have gotten had I walked the other road. Now, it's a very deceitful thing. It's, very, it's very, a very strong, natural, and universal resistance to the truth of dying to saying no to yourself, dying to yourself. The question is, had Jesus taken the shortcut, and remember on the temptation, the devil offered him that, 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 uh, that very proposition. Look, if, if you, you don't have to go through, you don't have to say no to yourself. Now look, all you have to do is say yes to me, and I'll give you all of these kingdoms and the worship and all of that. It's all yours. It's all yours. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. And he held fast and he knew that it meant, it meant a horrible crucifixion death. Not only the personal physical suffering, but it had to do with bearing the, the, the repulsive, awful sins of the whole world and carrying the judgment and rejection of God of those sins upon his own back at the cross. He knew that. Now, You'll notice in your notes there are very strong negative implications. If I were to ask you today to leave your job, and, and I'm not asking you to do that, that may not be the will of God for you, all right? But God wants us to leave our ambitions, not our jobs, but our ambitions and our, and our, and our materialistic goals. And he wants us to set our heart on serving mankind, now that listen carefully, with the gospel, with the gospel. That is our business. And that means we give up other pursuits. That means if we might take a vacation and use it to help build a ministry somewhere. That means instead of retirement where we go where we want to go and do what we want to do, we, we, we find a mission, a place of missionary service, whether at home or abroad, and we devote the rest of our lives 
and our time and our strength and our energy, the experience we've, 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 we've accumulated over a lifetime, and we give it away to others instead of doing what we wanted to do with it. It means the end of our own personal dreams. It means the end of our own personal ambitions. And that has frightening implications. That frightens us. You know why it frightens us? It's an awful thing. It frightens us because of this question, and you think about this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And if that's why we are living, that is an ungodly pagan purpose for life. It is what's in it for the glory of God. We are assuming that when God is glorified, we lose everything. Think about that. When we get what we want, we are benefited. When we get what God wants, that is never that, that, that benefit can't compare to the benefit if we were to indulge our own personal desires. Very interesting how the human mind thinks. It's depraved. It's depraved thinking. It frightens us. It frightens us to think that the glory of God has got to be the ultimate purpose of our lives. It, it, we think that God will rob us of all the good things. You mean that you think God would do that to you? God would take us places where we should never go? Where we would not be happy? There is no joy when God is glorified. That is a lie of the wicked one. Strong negative implications, indeed frightening. But there are powerful, positive results. And the results of living to die, the results are beyond imagination and any human expectation. Now again, in Mark 8, 31, he began to teach them. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed after three days, rise again. A very lonely life, and I want to get to the next page of the notes because that's, that's, where, the, that's where the blessing comes in. But in John 12, 24, truly, truly, this is a farmer's verse. This is a farmer's verse. I, I spent the first 17 years of my life watching my father and grandfather, and then participating with them and planting millions of seeds out in the, out in the farmland. And any time you plant a seed, the, the seed, as long as the seed stays in the sack, there's only one seed, only one seed. As long as you keep your life for yourself, you have one life, you're going to bury one life. Somebody told the story about the Texan that was so big that they were going to have to put two coffins together so he would fit inside of it. And so they popped him with a pin and they buried him in a matchbox. <laughs> but, but what happens is, if you live for yourself, you are going to fit inside of that coffin nicely. One seed you start with, you end with one seed. You got, well, you got what you started with. That's all you got. You bury what you came out of this into this world with. For the man and the woman who serves God, their life has been so multiplied in the lives of other people 
there isn't any way you can stuff anything. You'd, you'd have to have a gymnasium to stuff everything into his coffin. His life has grown so much into the lives of other people. Listen to me. Relationships grow when you die. Relationships grow when you sacrifice. Relationships grow when you live for others and not for yourself. They grow and they multiply. They grow and they multiply. Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it stays alone. Now you put it into the ground and there's a process of corruption. That seed begins to totally lose its identity. It ceases to exist and a new life comes out of this thing. How did you hear what I said? A new life comes out of that seed. There's no way for a new life to come out of you until you die to yourself and say no to yourself. No way. No way. You're going to be by yourself, doing your thing for yourself, scrapping with other people, grabbing, hanging on to things, fighting over things, confronting people over things, grabbing and and and. and Accumulating to yourself and to yourself and to yourself. What a life that is. But you're still only one corn of wheat. But when you put yourself on the ground and you say no to yourself, then your life begins to sprout and grow and sprout and grow. Many seeds come. They sprout and grow. Many seeds sprout and grow. That's the impact of a godly, Christ-centered God-glorifying life. This is the beginning of a new year. May God stir your heart to plant your life into the ground as that corn of wheat. Now, you'll notice on page 2 of your notes, notice the heading by Hebrews 2 verse 9. A great cost with enormous blessings. We ask ourselves the question, where would we be if Jesus had not died? The answer is we would all be hellbound sinners. And by the way, the tragic fact is that many who survived the COVID are going to spend eternity in darkness. In the blackness of darkness forever away from God. I would ask you where you're going to spend eternity. But had Jesus not died on the cross, there would be no hope of life for anybody. But let me ask you a question now. How many died? How many persons died for the sins of the whole world? Well, of course, one. How many people have benefited because one person decided to say no to himself, and that was Jesus Christ? Well, we don't know. It's in the multiplied millions. We have no idea until we get to heaven. So the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now notice why he was made. For the suffering of death. I'm wondering why in the world we exist in this world to accumulate to ourselves or to die to ourselves and to bless other people. Notice he was crowned. This was the blessing of God. Crowned with glory and honor that he by God's divine favor, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, now when, when you minister, and we've gone through this before, you are limited in your ministry by your willingness to suffer for the sins of other people, not in, a, not in a atoning way. But because of the sins of other people, ministry is hard. They say and do mean and nasty things. 
People disappoint you. They fall off the wagon when you're working with them. There are a lot of things that happen to you that, that, that you, you could avoid all these hardships just by not ministering to them. But he tasted death for every man. He made that choice. Now let's read on. It became him. It was fitting for him. For whom are all things and through whom are all things. Everything was his, but he gave it all up but he, to taste death for these people that didn't, would, didn't like him, didn't know him, had no, had no inclination to do what, what, what was right and good. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, through whom are all things. Now notice, in bringing what? Many sons to what? Glory. May I say, if you have a goal in life, that would be a good one. That was the goal of our Savior in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author, the leader, the pioneer of their salvation through sufferings. And in the, writer, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer talks about Jesus presenting his children. These are my children. These are the ones he's going to present to his Father in heaven. What a moment this is going to be. The agonies, the awful suffering of the cross. But there will come a moment in glory when the Lord Jesus will personally present to his Father millions and millions of sons and daughters to be eternally glorified in his eternal kingdom. And may I ask you, why did Jesus die? He didn't die just to make the headlines in the newspaper. It pleased him in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, a state of glorification. And what we do in ministry in our lives is we bring people out of their distress and misery and wickedness. And we bring them into a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And we bring them into maturity in Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of God whose ruined lives have been, have, have been reclaimed and purposed in divine purpose. We bring them out of distress into the joy and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a tremendous dynamic at work here. Notice in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect, that is mature, to bring to completion, really, as the word means to bring to completion. How did it happen? How is your life really brought to completion? I mean in God's divine purpose for creating you. It's in a sinful world that completion comes through suffering. Those who do not suffer are not made complete in the will of God. It's that simple. It's a part of it all. We live to die, but then we die to live. Amazing to me how the disciples missed this whole thing. They heard the death, they heard the suffering, they heard the rejection. But somehow, it just it, there was a blank spot. He's going to rise on the third day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in your mind today, if you were to die today, and they put you in one of these pretty boxes and buried you six feet under, but can you imagine when a trumpet sounds and the Son of God returns and the graves give up their dead and you are raised into eternal life? out of that coffin. Can you imagine the triumph? 
and the joy and the blessing and the victory. God takes the worst thing in life, death, and he turns it into the greatest triumph and victory that is possible. The third day, he's going to rise again. Notice, and I've got just a list of verses here. We'll quickly go through them, and then I have to draw a close before we get to the end. The necessity and certainty of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Mark 9.31, they will kill him. He will rise three days later. Mark 10.33, they will condemn him to death. Later he will rise again. And Matthew 17.22, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of, of, of men. Matthew 20. They will condemn him to death. The third day he will be raised up. Luke 18. They will kill him. The third day he will rise again. And he gives the explanation in Luke 24 and emphasizing the necessity of his death. Here, he is not here. This is the angel speaking. But he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Saying that the Son of Man must. There's that word day. The Son of Man must, it's a necessity, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified and the third day rise again. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? Now notice what else is necessary. And to enter into his glory. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, we have a Savior we have a Savior that came to live for us, to die for us, and then was raised from the dead for us. Now, his death ministry was in public view. May I say that you as a Christian are putting your life in public view. I want to ask you the question, what are people saying? Do they see a person who is determined to have what he wants or she wants, regardless what it costs other people? That's the way most people live. Do they see that or do they see some of that for some strange reason that's unexplained? You can explain it by the new birth and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, but it's by the natural man not explained a person who is saying, no, I'm not going to grab for what I want. I'm not to hold on to what I can have. I am going to live in ministry for the benefit of other people in the ministry of the gospel. What do they see? Jesus said the Son of Man will be lifted up. This is going to be a very, very public event. And it's going to be public enough so that everyone will know that it happened and then they're going to find out why it happened and then the empty tomb is going to happen after this. If I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up in John 3, John 12, if I be lifted up from the earth... And then there's a decisive, determined exercise of the will. There is a choice between two options. You can either save your life for yourself, or you can lose it. But that's a choice you make. God doesn't make that choice for you. God does not say, look, you're going to have to do this. Uh, I'm going to make sure you do this at any cost. No, 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 because God doesn't... Love exercises its own will. God, God does not take over your life. Satan does. When you get into sin, you get into bondage, and you lose control of your life. That's not the way the Holy Spirit operates. He doesn't work that way. You have a choice to make. You have the choice to make. 
Our Lord Jesus made that choice. John 10. He talks about being a good shepherd. You will notice he said, I laid down my life. He made that choice. And he made that choice in view of you personally. Now let's get personal with this. I lay down my life. That is a choice he made for me and for you. No man takes it from me. Nobody can make me do this. Nobody can make you dedicate your life to God and to others. Nobody can do that. I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have made this personal choice. I'm giving up everything that's rightfully mine. I'm going to become man in the incarnation. I'm going to be virgin born. I'm coming to earth to die. I'm going to live to die. And I'm going to die so that I might live. And when I live, I'm going to give the power of life to everyone that trusts me. Absolutely amazing. The power of your life is in your death. Write that one down. The power of your life is in your death. When you die to yourself, that is what gives power. That's what magnifies your life, what increases your life exponentially. That is the source of joy. That is the source of blessedness. It's in your death. It's in your death. I lay it down on my own initiative. I lay it down of my self. And the last verse in the, in the outline has to do with, with our relationship with other people as servants, as servants, as serving other people, dying to ourself, living for others, for the glory of God. Great men exercise authority, but that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great and you really, you really want to know what acceptance is, you really want to know what reward is, you make yourself a servant or a slave of others. You live for others, regardless of what it costs you to do it. And the rewards are beyond, beyond, beyond imagination, beyond expectation. And he said, this is how I did it. I did it. The Son of Man did not come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life a ransom for many. And by the way, there's no way that you can give your life up without, without blessing many, many, many people. You don't have to be a great worldwide evangelist. If you live for God in a simple way in your world, I care not how many people know you. Everyone that knows you is blessed by a selfless life. Without exception. And those that are blessed, those that are blessed will be grateful. It is absolutely amazing the blessedness of the selfless life. I want to challenge you. Do what Jesus did. I I'm giving my life. Nobody can take it from me. This is my choice. This is my decision. Nobody can, listen, nobody can stop you from giving your life away. <laughs> nobody can stop you from giving your life away. Not if you want to. And the Spirit of God will honor that and fill you. And your life will never be the same. 
Maybe your marriage is falling apart because there are too many selfish interests in it. Or your family, your children, your parents. I have no idea. At, at, at work, between the employees at work, your neighbors, your friends. Selfishness destroys everything it touches. And selflessness blesses every life it touches. What's it going to be? What is it going to be? May the Spirit of God touch our hearts today. We've got a new year. We've got a new year. The old one is gone. The old one is gone. We have a great example in the life and ministry of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Great example in Him. And we're challenged. We're challenged just to follow Him. And the power of God's wonderful Holy Spirit just to follow Him and to be a blessing in the world in which we live, living to die and dying to live. It doesn't work out like you think it will, because the end, the end of the man who walks with God is blessed. That's Psalm 1, the blessed man, the happy man, the man who prospers under the hand of of God. I'm going to ask the pastors to join me at this time. And we are going to do a memorial, a memorial to a great Savior who loved us and who gave himself for us, who loved us and gave himself for us in, in a very wonderful and a very real way, in a tangible way. And the reason that we have material items before us this morning, we have bread and we have the cup is because he assumed human flesh, he assumed literal humanity by means of virgin birth in order that he might save us from our sins. And it is a great joy, a great joy to worship a Savior like this. Have you ever thought the great religious of the world, great religious leaders of the world, they're asking, give me, give me, do, do, give me, give me, I want more, I want more, and this is the one I gave my life for you. This is the one who gives to us. And we celebrate a Savior that didn't come to get, but he came to cave, to give. Uh, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom. Hallelujah, what a wonderful and marvelous Savior that we have. And so we are going to remember that he gave his body on the cross. That is the bread that we have that represents his body. And we're going to partake of the bread just a moment. Absolutely. And, and, and think of this now. The Greek text says, given for you. This is my body, which is given for you. Literally, the Greek text says, this is my body for you. This is my body for you. Absolutely amazing. This is my body for you. And we need to give ourselves for others in the same way, for you, for you. This bread, take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Now, as a memorial, do this in remembrance, as a memorial, in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then after the same manner also, he took the cup and gave also of the cup to his disciples.
Now this is amazing because his death was not just a human death, it was a divine human death. And it seals a relationship between God and man. This is amazing. The person of Christ, God in human flesh, sealing with his blood, with his human blood, sealing a relationship between man and God that cannot be broken. This cup, Jesus said, is the new covenant, an unbreakable contractual agreement, the new covenant in my blood. And he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance, as a memorial to me.